I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, I have an announcement to make. Um, my mom has COVID. Yeah, yeah. I found out Dude, today. Wait. I just with Lauren. You're, so the guys knew. What? You did, yeah, you didn't know. Yeah, uh, Maxine. No, yeah. Maxine has COVID. Oh. Um, but wait, no. so there was one there was one in the news today. There was one new COVID case announced. Was that her? Is that your mom or is I'm, I'm it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it? how it works. Uh it, she she'll probably be tallied in tomorrow's total. I'm not really sure. Uh but oh basically my, my mom called me. Um she con- contracted COVID here in Halifax. She has no clue where she got it from. Public health also don't know how she contracted it. Um, uh, I haven't seen my mom in th- over three weeks. Um, she hasn't, st- and she didn't start presenting any kind of, uh, um, symptoms until a week ago today, if you're listening to this on a Friday. So, you know, I'm, I'm safe. Everything's all good. Although I got to say, uh, it is, it is very close to home. Now it was it was a bit of a wake up call for me because the thing that I was and I think I said this to you guys when I called you earlier today, but like my we're selling my house right now and my mom has been by um, a number of times throughout that process and my mom likes to just pop in for mom visits like whenever whenever she's like rolling rolling by and the fact that my mom did not stop by here. Um, it, over the last week is like, you know, is the, like, I really dodged a bit of a bullet there and it's, it's, uh, it, it totally freaked me mm-hmm. out today. You know, like having that conversation with my mom just made me realize like, Hmm, maybe I need to be, it up. is, it is crazy that she doesn't know where she got it. And, um, you know, your mom's a nurse and she's like pretty careful and conscientious. Um, as far as I know, like she, she like has been following all of the public health protocol and you know, when it comes to, when it comes to the public health, so like when it comes yeah, to public health, yeah, she yeah. is, but like other, when she's not, when it has nothing to do with public health, she's like, dude, she's having unprotected sex left, right and center. She's yeah. riding motorcycles <laughs> without helmets. Yeah. She fucking like, I mean, she swallows her weekend swords. Her, her weekend behavior has been, <laughs> she's nuts, you know, like a, like a, like a little a suspect for a few years now. And sus indeed. I know that I've personally been kind of curious about it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's too bad yeah. that, um, that at least that it led well, to that. Jer, I've been dying to ask you since like episode number four, I think it was, 
how's your mom? Like, what's your mom? What's your mom like? That's a throwback. Joke. Because, yeah. You know, that's a, that's a question that I usually really <laughs> like to ask. Joke. Yeah. Well, tell me about so, your mom. Um, to, to be honest with you, um, she, so she's, <clears throat> she's okay. She's okay right now. She's at home quarantining. She, she, uh, she's feeling minor symptoms, so she's not feeling super, super sick, which is good. Um, and I, th- and you know, fingers crossed it stays that way. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a, like a, it was a bit of a reality check for sure. Um, because, uh, if people aren't aware, although we do live in the Atlantic bubble and things have been really great here, um, Dr. Strang, uh, which, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, thrown to an episode with him this coming Monday. Uh, he's, he has stated our chief medical officer has stated that we are now seeing community spread. And the fact that my mom caught it <clears throat> and with <clears throat> zero knowledge of how the fuck she got it is a, you know, mm. that's a, uh, that's a, it's a problem. Well, we were having this conversation earlier and, you know, like you said, we are, we have been very lucky with the amount of cases of COVID that we've had and the, and the freedom that we've been able to enjoy and the lack of, the lack of like life change because Halifax and Nova Scotia and the Atlantic bubble in general, for the most part has been so, so lucky with the amount of COVID that we've had here um, or lack thereof. And, um, and I think now in this sort of transitional time and, and that with this transition that we're going through, that's obvious. And Strang talked about it in his, um, in his briefing recently is like, we don't, we don't want this to turn into we don't want this to turn into a thing where we can't reverse course. Like we, right. we can still, mm-hmm. we can still, we can still fight it and we can still stamp it out. Um, and it's, and it's like, this is the time to be super vigilant because Ooh. it's still relatively small and we can stamp it out. But I think what's, what people really need to tune into is we are in November and, you know, flu symptoms and cold symptoms and all that shit is super common. And, you cannot just write it off as that because yeah. you don't yeah. know. And yeah. that's, and I think that's what a lot of yeah. people are because we've been million, so mm-hmm. safe with COVID. It's mm-hmm. easy you mean like you think, can't well, go. We've been so safe. So why would I think that it's anything but a cold or that's a cough? Right. right. Yeah. You're saying like you, you shouldn't go in public if you're feeling sick, obviously like yeah. the, the very like obvious thing that you're saying is that, but yeah, but Jared, like was your mom did like what, why did she, decide to go get tested like was she just feeling sick and yeah, yeah exactly and went and got tested yeah she was feeling uh, a symptom or or maybe it turned into two but she was feeling uh, under the weather and went to get tested and um, as as I think is required by her job um, and mm. and you know results came back not good um, did she have any did she like speculate at all like where no. like with you I mean no. you don't have to say but No I mean you know I was like you know where have you she was like well I've been here and I did this and I got my tires changed and you know like so and so goes to this place and so it was like she she was like she was basically like dude I have it it could have been from mm-hmm. a million different things cuz I've just been living my life um, and, but, and she's a nurse, but she doesn't work at like the, no, she, she doesn't work at like the COVID clinic. No, right? no, no, no. She's, right. She works at detox. She works at a, at like yeah. a, a detox clinic. So, but right. what about the volunteer work that she does, um, at the, at the flying rodent, um, sanctuary <laughs> and, right. and you know what? And, the, I, and, and, and then also the wet market <laughs> that she, that she works at on the, mm. on Saturdays. Is that like, do you think, is there I, any possibility? Ah, uh, dude, I didn't even 
I didn't even think to ask her it about that. Just popped into my head just now. Yeah. Was it the trip to China? Yeah. <laughs> China. Well, it's been like 10 days, though, since she was in China. So, yeah. I don't so, know okay. if it was that. How, you know what? Speaking of China, how is COVID over in China right now? I haven't heard a, I haven't I don't heard know. a peep from China. Is it a chill? That's a good question. I you guys so. chat. I'll look it up. Is it chill? Is well, there, I'm, that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a quick read. Is <laughs> yeah. China COVID the official chill COVID max, right now? Uh, maps, it says China. Chill. 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 Chill, chill AF. Uh, while you look up what's going on in China, um, I do want to say this because I think that, uh, so, so this came up today on Reddit and I thought it was pretty fucking interesting. Nova Scotia wins international award for COVID-19 response. Uh, this is coming out of Haligonia, um, by the Haligonia editors. So if you're not familiar with the Haligonia, it's the only... Reputable news source here in Halifax. <laughs> Nova Scotia Health and its partners are being recognized internationally for designating, or sorry, designing and developing a technology solution that saved local public health officials hundreds of hours at the height of the first wave of the pandemic. The Univance of Healthcare Excellence Award recognizes teams that collaborate across disciplines and transform healthcare delivery, ultimately improving patients' lives. Nova Scotia Health and its partners were awarded the prestigious Recognition of Achievement Award at a virtual global event earlier this week. Quote, the Nova Scotia Health IM slash IT team, in collaboration with our government IT partner, the Department of Service Nova Scotia, International Internal Services, have shown real ingenuity and flexibility during a time of crisis and huge pressure, says Andrew Nemirovsky, Nova Scotia's health mm-hmm. chief informant officer and IM slash IT senior director. Quote, we were asked to come up with a way to get information to patients quickly and efficiently to help alleviate the workload on our public health team, giving this, given the significant workload they were experiencing. The team did a fantastic job building a simple, secure system to communicate faster results to patients, uh, Nemirovsky said. And then it goes on to say, you know, talk a bit about our situation here. Um, but yeah, so anyway, thanks, mom. You're going to fuck up the award uh, because you now have COVID and it's, uh, it's, it's just blowing up here in Nova Scotia now. Guys, my mom, my mom it's all my mom's fault. Do you think like, update. Well, maybe she- you know, we, we've, we've been having like these conversations a lot lately about like how well Nova Scotia is doing. And like, it feels like we're on the precipice of like things potentially not, not getting good. out of control. Yeah. And, and so that like there was another article, uh, that, that was published yesterday about how well Nova Scotia is doing in relation to like New York. And it's referencing like how close we are, you know, geographically, geographically to New York city mm-hmm. yet, like how wow. well we've been doing at combating the, mm-hmm. the uh, different spread of the virus. Yeah, like as the crow flies, Taylor, geographically close but uh yeah but um but but yeah like it's it's interesting because like i see an article like that and and, like i feel good but at the same time i feel nervous about like the attention you know it's like people start to look look at you and they're like oh they're doing so well and then they look over at the time when shit's kind of like also hitting the fan and getting out of control so it makes me feel a little bit nervous do you guys feel that no no, not really. <laughs> I, I, I more so read it and was like, well, we're kind of in a weird housing crisis here. Like, stay the fuck away. Like, but I, like do you feel like there, that? I'm sure like, there's a ton like, of people in New York that were like, hey, this sounds great. Let's go up there and snatch up all the houses. But, I was like, no, well, like maybe don't. But just, like, just, just can't just don't, really. Right 
yeah, but, yeah, but they, when I say that, I mean yeah. so like in the sense that like people become complacent when the news sort of like shares that sentiment oh. when like all of these articles and things right, are coming out like Nova Scotia, the place where everything's going so well. Yeah. And then I mean, people here sudden, have, like, and that's, and that's why we're susceptible to an outbreak. Yeah. But then, but then again, right, we exactly. have, but then again, we have Dr. Strang, like, you know, like good times make weak people, weak get, people make hard times, hard times make hard people, hard times make good times. I can't uh, follow any of times. that. Yeah. And, and all the good times, let them Something roll. like that. Uh, let the good times roll. That's the main takeaway. <laughs> we have daddy Strang popping on TV though and telling us, you know, to basically like get your fucking shit together. Nova Scotia, <clears throat> wash your hands, reduce your, uh, your social bubbles and, uh, don't go guys. China has Chasing 314 waterfalls? active cases in China Whoa. of a billion, of a billion people, 314 cases, 12 cases today. Wow. They have 86,000 cases total since the beginning. And I believe like back in the height of everything, I think they, I think they went up to like 80, 80,000 really quickly. And yeah. then they've had like 6,000 cases since then, which is crazy. 86,000 total. No, that's Yeah. That sounds, there was a, actually, you know what? That sounds, uh, Brian, it sounds Google, unbelievable. Google from this populate from a country. Wow. So populous. Google this, Brian, Google uh bubble, bubble bath party, Wuhan. I'm not joking. Actually, Google that. Google bubble ba- <laughs> bubble bubble rave or bubble bath party um, Wuhan because I think that I'm almost cer- certain that I saw. Dude, this I type in bubble <clears throat> bath party and then <laughs> and then all the suggestions after are like are like Man, uh, guys, how many people supply? How many people in the U.S. could not give less of a fuck about COVID? Twelve million people. Did you see they hit um in, in for deaths yesterday? They hit two hundred fifty thousand deaths, which yeah, is yeah. more than Fauci predicted when things started uh when COVID started out like early in the year. It's so crazy. And you know what? And, and, and I, I don't mean to make this and I don't want this I don't want this to be like a political thing, but it's just like a fact of life. Um, you know, obviously we all know about like the nonsense that's been going on in the US since the election and you know, Trump being a baby and everything like that. About a, uh, about what everything a, and what a huge all that stuff, and uh, and 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 I heard some news conference and they were talking to Biden and someone asked like you know what is the like what's the biggest drawback to your transition that mm-hmm. that's that's being placed upon your transition by the behavior of the White House and Trump and all that stuff, and and he was like it was a moment of real sincerity like there was you could you know Biden is a bit of a talking head. And he, you know, he says his teleprompter bits really, really straightforward and you don't get a whole lot of authentic, uh, sleepy Joe. And, uh, and this was like really, really sincere. He just said, you know what the, the, the worst part about this is that the, the, the longer this transition takes is the more people are dying. Cause like, we've yep. just been doing a bad job at this, <clears throat> like objectively yep. and more people are going to die if, if we don't make changes quickly. And all he's doing is preventing us from making those changes that we think are going to save people's lives. And I was like, Oh fuck, that hurt my chest a little bit to hear. Yeah. Mm. Can I read you this? Uh, this, this was from August 18th. So this is a while ago, old news, but I was onto something. Wuhan, is it real news? Wuhan yeah, this is coming from CNN. So very trustworthy. 
uh, from oh, Nectar yeah. Gone CNN. Wuhan hosts massive water park party as coronavirus conce- concerns recede. Uh, It was ground zero in the coronavirus pandemic and underwent the world's first and arguably strictest lockdown. Now, the central Chinese city of Wuhan appears to have moved on from the virus as thousands of revelers gathered in an open air water park for an electronic music festival without any masks or social distancing measures in sight. So it wasn't a bubble bath party, but it was a giant water park rave. It's crazy. It's pretty fucking sick. I'm looking at the pictures now. It looks crazy. It looks sick. They all have tubes and stuff. It does look super Fuck. sweet. I know. It looks so good. Um, so, but how? How? Well, when you... when you, what do you get, mean? When the lockdown works. Like, how, how have they done such a good job at... Well, they, they just the they just said in the in the thing, it was like they had crazy strict lockdown measures going mm-hmm. on over there. Like they and just it's a collectivist culture. People do like the people are conditioned to do uh, what's better for the greater good than what's better for themselves. Whereas mm-hmm. we in the West live in a more generally individualistic society. Very good all point. Those, mm-hmm. All those other countries with different values, they had who, they were much more successful. Who invited Smarty Pants over here to sit down and have a chat? Huh? Jeez, look at you. <laughs> Put, the greater good. Nose. Um, all right. There's one other thing I want to tell you guys about. And this is uh, this was kind of wild. This came out of Metro uh, from Tom Williams. Anti-vaxxers. Look, oh, I saw look, this. I, Fuck me, I dude. don't have time for anti-vaxxers. If you are an anti-vaxxer, I'm sorry. But you are horrible. Shut up. Uh, when horrible. I when I when I read this fucking when I read this Fuck. this um headline i i it really tickled me anti-vaxxers could be banned from going into work if they refuse covid jab (laughs) amid fears a small but vocal anti-vaxxer lobby in the uk may convince more people not to sign up for the jab um conservative tom tugger hand Tugging hat. That's that's not a real name. Tugging hat. Tugging with his hand. Tugging hat. He's a he's a hand tugging. Tom Tugging hat uh, has warned those who reject it may find it hard to return to normal life. Speaking to HuffPost UK's Commons People podcast, the Mister Tugging hat said he could certainly see the day when people weren't allowed into the office until they could prove they had the vaccine. Venues may also demand to see vaccination certificates on the door before people are allowed inside, he said. <clears throat> he added, quote, if vaccination works and we are confident it's safe and all indications so far are good, then I can certainly see a day when businesses say, look, you've got to return to the office and you've got and you're not vaccinated. You're not coming in. And I can yeah. certainly see social venues asking for vaccination certificates. So I mean yeah. that you know he goes uh, he, he goes on in that article to talk about like how countries do that with yellow fever and and typhoid yeah. and like you got to get that mm-hmm. shit before you travel. I've and never like, heard yeah, of you that. Know why? Yeah, you know why? Because we don't want it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like yeah. like pre- presenting certificates though is, is is like crazy. Imagine we all walked around with vac- vaccination certificates. That would be wild. Oh. 
Wow, you know what would be they wild should... is if you wanted to make a purchase of like tobacco or alcohol and you had to show some sort of ID. Yeah. Nice. That would be nice. crazy to prove your age. Nice. That wow, you know wild. what would be wild is, is to go get some kind of healthcare service and show that you're registered, that you live in whatever <laughs> province or jurisdiction that okay, is okay, paying okay, for your okay. healthcare we get service. It. Nice. We get wow. it, Lauren. Nice. We nice. get it, smarty pants. <laughs> Good one. But 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 Booyah. do you think that the, but but do they do you think that because Certificate is just a weird word. Like if they it said a weird word. ID identification card, you, like, it would have been makes like, you think oh yeah, that it's true. That makes sense. Doesn't it make you think of like the, it makes you think of, of like something it's in a big piece of paper. It's got one of those gold little starry stamps on it. You know, it's got like, it's certified by a doctor somewhere and you guys like, ever, it's for maybe I, framed. This is probably, you've probably seen it on your parents. Tay. I'm sure you're, you've seen it on your parents, but the, uh, the polio vaccine scar on their shoulders. Yeah. Like my dad's got a polio vaccine scar on his shoulder. I think my mom really? has one too. Very, very obvious, very distinct. It looks like a, a sort of giant pockmark. Giant as in like the size of a a, 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 a nickel. And it's this sort of really? like, like the skin's like indented and sunk in and it's usually on the shoulder. I wonder if there's like a way we can just like implement a uh, polio vaccine scar type scar into the COVID vaccine. You know, it's like... Or tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Be a sick mm. tat. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't think we want governments tattooing uh, anything on anybody that has a bit of a dark past. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been a dark, oh. this has been a dark start to our Feel Good Friday. What, what if, it's, what if it's, it was, what if it was like a, like a henna though? Because like, you know, you're, the henna yeah. wears off over time. So like if you have to re-up <laughs> on the vaccine, like once a year, like once every six yeah. months, yep. the henna sort yeah. of fades yeah. over that time. And it's like, yeah. oh shit, dude, you're, your COVID-19 henna is wearing off, man. You're due for a new vac- vaccination. You think that that's would work? smart. Yep. I, I think, think that's, that's a good idea. I think that's the plan. I think that's hey, it. Better than a scroll, to be honest. 100%. Definitely um, better than a scroll. Uh, this has been a bit of a bit of a, uh, a downer uh, of Feel Good Friday. But you know what? We're going into <laughs> a really, really uh, upper conversation. Uh, we speak to um, we speak to Sonia I'm going to fuck her last name up, guys. Stanoyevich. Stanoyevich. Thank you so much. Sonia Stanoyevich, uh, who is a researcher who tapped into some pretty phenomenal statistics um, when it comes to the efficacy of this miracle drug, Trikafta. If you've been living under a rock this week, you might not have heard, but uh, Vertex took the first step in getting Trikafta approved here in Canada, uh, which is a big thing for us CFers. Um, but before we throw to this conversation, I actually got a uh, I got a letter from someone through my f- through my personal website because I, I released an, an opinion piece on CBC this week about Trikafta, and this was a CFer who wrote in to me to express to me how much Trikafta has helped them, and they they put a whole list of the things that have changed in their life. And I want to read this Whoa. to you here. Um, Just rubbing it in your face, eh? Yeah, like, hey, yeah, look, yeah. here's all the things that this has done for me. Yeah. Suck it, Jeremy. Good luck getting it. Uh, they say, hi, Jeremy. My name is Kieran. I'm in my mid-40s and have CF. Prior to March, I was on a secondary double lung transplant list. Needed an O2 tank to move around at a regular pace and was out of breath putting on socks and talking. I saw your CBC article on Trikafta and figure I should send you a message about how Trikafta has helped me. 
even more than just being able to breathe, breathe better. In February, I was granted access to Trikafta, and this is how it's helped me. So here's the list. My sinus is cleared up, and I can breathe through my nose. That would be huge for me. I no longer snore. Hey, I don't want sleep apnea Dude. anymore. That would be great. <laughs> well, do you think your sleep apnea would go away? Fuck, man. Sounds like, sounds like Kieran's did. Uh, I wake up rested. Sweet. I have many bursts of energy, and they last. Nice. My guitar strings wow. don't rust. No more salty skin. That's really interesting. That, whoa. I would have I thought never that was thought a joke. of that. <laughs> Didn't even I thought that was. I thought that was a joke and that this list was going to get out of control, but no. that's actually real. That's crazy. Didn't even know. Uh, no more muscle cramps in my feet and calves. This used to wake me up. My heart rate has decreased. That would be good for me as well. My heart rate's dude, pretty yeah, fucking high. Dude. My resting heart rate's like, it's like 198. It's uh, so fast. Um, uh, my, like O2, my O2 stats have increased. I can ride a pedal bike now instead of the e-bike. No more walking up, uh, waking up in the middle of the night to cough. I save at least three hours a day by not, cough, by not doing meds and coughing. I get hungry and thirsty. My sense of smell has increased. I can maintain my weight without having to constantly snack. I gained 20 pounds in two months, but have stabilized. I no longer get out of breath putting on socks, shoes, walking, or doing house chores. I can walk stairs without no two tank. I can bend over to tie up my shoes without grasping for, gasping for air. I ended up buying loose-fitting shoes so I could wiggle them onto my feet while standing up. Five years ago, I bought a nice pair of leather boots and didn't wear them because I didn't have the lung capacity to bend over and zip them up. Now I can wear them. Oh. Sweet. Nice. Hot. Like it. I don't need to do hypertonic <laughs> saline solutions before visiting people to reduce the coughing when seeing them. That's something I take, saline solution. I will no longer have to leave social gatherings to go home and take meds. If I get asked to go on a group hike or a skate, I can now say yes, whereas before I knew I would be slow or cough and need my O2 tank, so I'd always decline. And one last big benefit is that I no longer feel like a burden in a relationship. Coughing for one and a half hours straight every morning with mucus is understandably unpleasant for a partner. It is also a constant reminder that though times are tough, times, though tough times are ahead, transplant, burden of care, and death. Uh, Trikafta has changed my physical life, my work life, my social life, and my sense of self-worth. So there you go. Thanks, Karen. That was Thanks like a... That. Uh-huh. That was like a reverse, like the like the 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 reverse of uh, uh, of the list of potential side effects that you hear on pharmaceutical uh, commercials when they're like, <laughs> totally, yeah, well, totally. Dude. Side effects, side effects may include you get three more hours in your day. You're not going to cough as much. Your partner's going to be happier with you. It's going to be a really wonderful time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, just generic. I'm not. I'm not singling out any awesome. pharmaceutical companies. Just generally, generally speaking, allegedly, all the things. Um, yeah, so it's really awesome. So pretty awesome, pretty awesome stuff. And if you thought that was awesome, uh, wait till you hear this conversation that we had with uh, Sonia, all about the stats surrounding the miracle drug Trikafta. All right, here we are. We are sitting down with our new friend, Sonia and, uh, Sonia, you and I, we've, we've, uh, uh, we met a little while ago, uh, because <clears throat> it was what, maybe like a month and a half ago now where, um, there was this, uh, this study that was released all about this 
this miracle drug that we've been talking about on the show for a while now, Trikafta. And uh, you had a little something to do with this study. And uh, we were asked by um, uh, a, a actual mutual friend of all of ours here, uh, Jason, to uh, do a little bit of media to talk about the data that came out surrounding this huge, huge um, life-changing drug. And so we went on a couple like, you know, little, it was like a little miniature Nova Scotia media tour. And uh, I was just there to, uh, you know, crack jokes and look like a dum-dum. But uh, Sonny, you, you showed up and you are just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, quick little like intro here. Uh, Dr. S- uh, Sonia, how do you say your last name? Stinovich? Close. You're pretty good. Uh, Stinovich. Stinovich. Uh, you're an assistant professor at the, in the Department of Community Health and Epidemiology at Dalhousie. And um, you research a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> topics include uh, biostatistics, analysis of longitudinal data. Don't know what that is. Respiratory <laughs> epidemiology, respiratory physiolo- physiology, lung growth and development, cystic fibrosis epidemiology. Uh, how do you have so much space in your brain for all of these things? Like, I, I, it really, like, it's kind of like, it's kind of mind blowing all the work that you do. Tell us, like, how did you get, first of all, how did you get to where you are? How did I get to where I am? That's an excellent question, and I and I'm not sure I actually know. Um, no, so I I like numbers and I like math and I like data, um, and through a series of things that that happened to me during my studies and people that I met and places that I was, um, I got really interested in understanding the lungs and how the lungs grow and develop. And then naturally from there, I started looking at people living with cystic fibrosis because, as you know, the lungs are predominantly affected by this disease. And in my work trying to understand how normal lungs grow and develop, it's been really fascinating to understand how people with cystic fibrosis, how their lungs grow and develop and what Mm -hmm. we can do to help keep their lungs healthier for longer. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I, I think you, uh, the one thing that you missed there was you also know that people living with CF are the, are like clearly the coolest, um, humans that exist. So, uh, but, um, that, that Blanket goes without saying, that goes without saying. Obviously. But, and, and it's very rewarding to work in CF because I'll have to say, unlike a lot of other disciplines, when we do research, when we find new information, um, the CF community adopts it at lightning fast speed. So as a researcher, it's mm. really rewarding to work with the CF community because you can see the impact, the work that you have almost immediately on improving lives. So I, I love it. Do you know know why that, like what is, is there, is there anything that you can point to that, that, that is it CF Canada and the way that they, that the organizations run, or is it something there that there is like quicker adoption of, of, of practices in the CF community? Yeah, well, I think um, the CF Foundation, so starting back in like the 60s and 70s when they were first established, they really were integral in setting the scene in terms of what we should be researching. They have been um, tremendous in fundraising so that we can do research. And what I find particularly um, rewarding is that at all of our conferences, we have everybody there. So you don't have to wait lots of time for all this research to get disseminated to different people. But we all kind of work collectively together um, and we have people living with CF at the conferences. They're part of our research studies, not just as participants, but as people who help us guide what we should be studying. And, and I think by 
being in this community and all working towards a common goal, we're able to understand the impact of these results. And, and there's everyone's waiting for the next new finding to put it into practice. And so mm-hmm. I think it's really the community all together working um, as one. And again, and, like I said, we we are the coolest. It's, I, I, again, goes without saying, but, but continue, Brian. Son, in terms of uh, uh, your career and the work that you've done, have you seen um, significant change in our understanding of of lung health through the work that you've been doing? Yeah. So, uh, for, in the work that I do, just in terms of understanding what normal is um, and understanding how much of a change is meaningful. So, I've seen, um, I work a lot with children with cystic fibrosis, and I see them running up and down the halls at the clinic. My lung function is up by 1%, and they get really Ooh. excited. <laughs> and then other times it goes down by 1%, and they're devastated. And, you know, as people could progress, maybe they're a little bit more accepting to a 5% level. Um, and a lot of the work that I've been doing is trying to better understand what normal looks like, but also what normal wobble looks like. So when should you be concerned? When when should you um, be initiated with a new treatment? When is a change just your normal variability? And understanding that both in healthy individuals and then people with varying lung diseases has really helped us to better tailor when we should be treating people when we should be worried, when we should be excited, mm. when a new therapy is working. That's so interesting because I think of when Jeremy goes to clinic and he comes back and he tells us like, I'm up 5% or I'm, I'm down yeah. 5% more often than not down. But like there's times where Jerry, like you come back and you're like, I, I mean, just the other day you were like, man, I killed it today. Like my, yeah. my, my scores on my, what's the test called? Uh, yeah. Your pulmonary lung function test. Yeah, and yep. and yep. you're yep. like, when I I I killed that test, and yeah. and Taylor it's and I fun, get so yeah, excited, I, but at the same time, yeah. I'm like, but what what have you been doing differently that would make that any better? You know, like yeah. it 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 it's hard to point to anything that I mean, knowing you as uh, as like uh, a best friend and and seeing the things that you do on a day to day basis, I'm like. Jerry's been just doing the same things he's always doing. Why is his lung function better this time than it wasn't last time? Well, Brian, you know, I mean, I, we don't need to get into this uh, directly, but there's there are things that, that, that happen in the background that you would never see uh, that if I'm not doing, um, yeah, that it, it's not going to help my lungs. Or if I am doing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's gonna be going to improve my lungs, you know, um, like... For example, um, at clinic, so I had clinic the other day, I was actually really worried. <clears throat> I was really, because I'm one of those people where like, if there is, if there is a wobble, if there is a, a dip, I mean, the, the, I, the, the thought of a 5% dip in my lung function, like that, I, I mean, I, there's not a lot of room for me to fuck around at this point, mm-hmm. you know, like that would have been so probably I, different. Like five years ago, 5% might've not yeah, been such yeah, a maybe, drastic, but like now it's like, if I heard, if I heard a 5% dip, like that is going to, that is going to be a bummer of a week for me. You know, it's going to like, it's going to really like take a, a hit on my, my mental health that week. Now this, you know, I, anyway, whatever I went in and I blew, uh, I was the same as I was a, a year from today. And I was like, that is awesome news. Like I, cause I thought it was going to be way lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, then, that's kind know, of my to, point though, right? Like you, <clears throat> you thought it might be lower that time, but for whatever reason, yeah. it's what? up a bit. Yeah. I just blew into that tube real hard. Can yeah. you, um, like uh, from this, from the stats point of view, like, so I find that something, something that is, is like interesting is, is 
you know, numbers are, numbers are pretty cut and dry. And so like Jeremy, you said you, you had a 63%, your lung function is 63%. Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah, I blew, test? I blew, I think like 2.74 FEV1. Yeah. And I think, I think a, a, everything together, I think it came out. More of a yes or no answer is what I was looking here. for there, Jared. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> Hey man, every percentage counts. <laughs> and, uh, um, like for reference, normal, like non CF, you know, no, non, you know, disease, um, uh, illness, uh, factored into lungs. Like what is somebody, um, you know, Jer's 63% and he's 30, Jer, what you're 32 years old. Um, right. you know, what, what does the, what does a normal set of lungs look like in terms of percentages that you can compare against like somebody who's, you know, Bry's 31, I'm 30. Um, you know, what is, what are the odds, you know, if we don't smoke or something like that, that our lung function, like what, what are we looking at as normal? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always say people come in different shapes and sizes and our lungs come in different shapes and sizes. So it's hard to think of lung function as one value that we need to get. Um, and the way we look at lung function right now is it's a range of values that's normal. So for somebody that is Jeremy's age, it's typically between 80 to 120% predicted. Um, and that's what's often used in medicine, but for a much younger child, that range is much wider. So when you're younger, when you don't have the same muscle strength, when your lungs are growing and developing, there's a lot more variability. So normal is maybe between 70 and 130%. And then similarly, as we get older, there's a natural aging process that happens. So again, I say your lungs get wrinkly, just like your skin gets wrinkly. So your ability to blow in your um, range of values that's normal is again, much wider. And also as we grow, our lungs are really sensitive to all of the things that we all breathe in the environment. And so that range of normal becomes much wider as we get older. And we need to take into account that Ooh. background um, normal range when we look at people like Jeremy, others with cystic fibrosis, because we don't want to overinterpret results as not being um, or as being bad. And the other thing is that there's kind of that's only one piece of understanding somebody's lungs is how you compare to a healthy population. But there's a lot to be said about how, but it, how somebody tracks over time. And particularly in people with lung diseases, we want to know how much they're changing. We want to know mm. how much relative to their best, because um, that's sometimes going to give us a lot more information than just comparing it to what we would expect of a healthy person. Mm -hmm. Is this is this like is this all under the umbrella of of biostatistics? Like, is that like what is biostatistics? How does that yeah. work? What is that feel? So, biostatistics is just a tool. It's a tool. It's a way. Uh, it's statistics that's applied to biological data. Um, and so, what we're talking about more is respiratory physiology. And something that I do in my research is using tools like biostatistics and data that's mm. been collected to understand what happens in health. Um, and so it's a really powerful tool because if we have the right amount of data, if we have uh, representative data of people, either healthy people or people with a specific disease, we can come up with really powerful understandings of what's happening and how what we observe in a group of individuals reflects what happens in all people with a certain condition. Right. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it 
I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So early early on, we were talking about. Uh, I had mentioned Trikafta, and I had mentioned this study that you had uh, you had co-authored recently. Um, let's 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 like dig into this study and what was what was um, revealed through this study because I know that it was like kind of a fucking big deal, like a big deal for for everyone involved, the CF Canada, the, the you know the, the yourself, the people who are taking part in the study at Dell. Um, nationwide, like this was <clears throat> kind of a, kind of a, um, uh, I guess like a triumph in a way, like there's, can you, can you kind of like lead us into what the study was, how, how it was conducted and, and sort of like what, what, what made it such a big deal? Well, you made it a big deal. No. <laughs> um, so guys, it's huge. Trust me. You gotta you just wait till Sonia tells you. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, no. So we uh, we've been our research team has been looking at the Canadian CF population for quite a number of years, and um, we have this wonderful, amazing patient registry that tracks everybody with CF. Um, and for the last couple of years before Trikafta, we were trying to anticipate what's the population going to look like in the future. So thinking about, do we have enough CF clinics? Do we have enough CF doctors? Where in the country are there people living with CF? And um, trying to understand the resources that we need in the future. And so we've been looking at various number of approaches to try to predict the future. So how can we take what we know about people living with CF today and understand what might happen to them if nothing else changes moving into the future? And we had come up with some pretty cool methods. And um, there was a group in the UK that had done something similar for their population and in Europe. Um, but I thought I came up with a really cool way to do this. And we were really excited and we were nearly done our study when um, the results for Trikafta were announced. So we were all at a, a CF conference a couple of years ago. And the initial phase three study results were published and we were all so excited. And it was really exciting for the CF community. And um, I think that's the exciting part in terms of this new therapy that's available for people. It's, yeah. it's groundbreaking. It's going to completely change the face of CF. And so after all of the excitement, I realized that all of the work that we had done was completely obsolete because who cares what we predicted? There's this new drug that's available and we really need to know what impact this is going to have on the population. Mm. So we were able to take what we had done up until then in projecting what the population was going to look like. But now think of it in the context of what happens if everyone that is eligible for this therapy is going to receive it? What would happen to their lung function? What would happen to them in five years, in 10 years? What would happen to that average uh, median age of survival that we always calculate? Um, and so we did that and we were almost ready to publish everything. And then we got word of the delays. So we got word that it may not come to Canada as quickly as it will to other countries. Certainly it was already available in the US. Mm -hmm. And we saw that it still hadn't been submitted to Health Canada. So we added in that third component of what would happen if it was delayed. So right. best case scenario, we get it in 2021. 
Worst case scenario, I hope it's the worst case scenario, it doesn't arrive till 2025. And not only are we going to try to anticipate what the population will look like so that we can make sure that we have the right resources ready in 2030 when everybody is on this therapy and we understand what um, what resources they might need, but also trying to think about what impact will there be if we don't get this therapy right now. Can I, can I just say, that sounds like, it sounds like I, I work for a startup as well. And I feel like our goal is always changing and what we're developing. So like I'll do something and then, <coughs> then the goal changes. So I have to change my work in accordance to that. And it's really frustrating doing that sometimes. And I feel like when you're, I, I feel like I'm having PTSD when you're going through this, when you're saying like, we did this study and then Trikafta came along and all of a sudden we had to do this new study. So then we did this new study to see what would happen if everybody got Trikafta but then we realized it was delayed. So we did this new study. Like, what, was it really frustrating for you going through that? Um, well, she's a numbers person. She's so like, it was exciting. Yeah, more <laughs> numbers. I was wondering if you saw it more as an exciting yeah. opportunity to, to so, do more research. So fortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, this kind of exciting, uh, groundbreaking therapy doesn't come along all the time. So um, I can't say that this always happens in my day job, although um, I, I work with a lot of uh, multidisciplinary teams, lots of clinicians, and we all kind of come together to come up with ideas and do this. So I often get the, it's done, ready, I have the results. And they say, what about this? And then they don't realize that it means starting right from scratch and doing it all again. Um so yeah. <laughs> I mean I I imagine that I imagine I mean like you said these these like fundamentally groundbreaking things don't come along that often so I can I, when you is there a it because it's so groundbreaking I'm I'm assuming that the the conclusions that you reached in the initial study contrasted against the study that includes Trikafta and looking at the the future of CF patients with Trikafta was probably pretty groundbreaking. Like what, what are some of these, what are some of the conclusions that, that you reached in, in the, in the first one where Trikafta is not in, in, um, involved and then, and then all of a sudden it is, and it's, and it's changing the way that, um, that we think and that we know about CF. Absolutely. So we know even without Trikafta, we're going to see improvements in the CF population. I mean, there's been new therapies coming along. Um, we're finding better ways to treat people. We're finding new therapies. And so even without Trikafta, I think we're going to continue to see improvements in the population just as we've seen over the last couple of decades. Um, but relative to that baseline, relative to that what would happen if things just continued along as uh, they would anyways, um, Trikafta stands to do, in my opinion, three big things. One, we know that immediately it's going to improve the lung function of people who take it. So on average, it improves your lung function by about 14%. So thinking about Jeremy, he said he was about 63. So that means immediately he's going to, on average, jump up into the of mid to high 70s. Wow. Now, which is in that like is, which is in that like that normal is, variable range, right? Cuz you said yeah. like 70, 75 to 100 is like the normal variable variance. Crazy. Yeah. That's and, so like I don't even remember what that was like. Yeah. Like that like for for like just to say as someone who lives with it, like that to me like that to me sounds so un 
believable. But wait, like is, there's more. <laughs> yeah. no. First, I want to just say, so on average, I keep saying on average, sure, and that's because average, these yes, are just yes. numbers. So, yeah. you know, what we saw in the clinical trials was that on average, it improves by about 14%. Now, it improved for pretty much everybody. Some people only had an improvement of 5%. Others had improvements of like 20, 30%, like huge improvements. And that's, so it's really hard for us well, to kind of yeah. anticipate what the impact will be for one person. But we can talk about you know, on the group level, if everybody would receive it, we would expect on average it would go up by 14%. And so that's huge. Um, The second piece is not only are we going to have this initial improvement, but we anticipate that people are going to be able to maintain their lung function in that healthy state for longer. So even if you have low lung function right now, that initial improvement and this ability to slow the progression also Mm -hmm. means that people will be healthier longer, but also those people with severe disease aren't going to be deteriorating as fast. So they're going to have more opportunities to live productive lives, even though this therapy isn't necessarily going to bump them straight back to normal. Um, Mm -hmm. that initial bump plus that slower decline is going to have a big impact as well. Which is like our friend Steph Stavros, who, you know, we were talking to her and her lung function was like in the twenties and now it's somewhere around the forties. And she's like, I'm, I'm living my best life. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going about, I'm going around doing my day to day routine and like actually living this productive life. Um, yeah. So anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. And so one of the things that I'm sure you guys have talked about, what's really remarkable about this therapy is it fixes the underlying defect. So people mm. with cystic fibrosis don't have the CFTR protein, so their sweat chloride channels don't work. This drug fixes that. So now their sweat chloride channels are working, which means that not only is their lung function improving, but all of their other organs that are affected by CF are also going to be working better. And um, because it fixes that underlying defect, we're breaking that vicious cycle of infection, inflammation, hospitalization with a chest infection, infection, inflammation, hospitalization. And so by preventing those events, people are going to stay healthier longer in that respect too. Mm-hmm. I, this might not be in your wheelhouse, but... I never thought about this until right now. So I'm I'm sterile um, I because of CF. If that. I started taking this drug, am I going to have to like look into um, birth control? I have no idea. It's a fantastic Sonia, question. Help. Uh, <laughs> I deal with data, numbers. Uh, <laughs> Tell me send, about my sperm. <laughs> I have to send you right I'm back to your CF to be doctor. A dad. Um, <laughs> that is an excellent. So we, the truth is, we don't know. We know what impact yeah, it's going to yeah. have on the lungs because these right. studies have been designed to measure what happens to the lungs, what happens mm-hmm. to your sweat chloride. Um, I think one thing it, it depends also where you are in your disease progress. So, or yeah. process. So we know that people who have uh, structural lung damage, even though they start taking, taking trichafta, their lungs aren't going to improve that permanent damage that's happened. And so that's yeah. where I think in an individual, we can't really know what's going to happen to each person. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, Jared, I think you should ask a health professional. I can, <laughs> I can tell you right you, now what that... What would you pick, it, uh, trichafta or condoms? Uh, condoms. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can tell you right now that if Jer, if Jer doesn't have to keep going to the hospital, his, his, uh, his movie and TV show content, uh, consumption is going to go down by about 75% Probably because every time that I have a show or a movie that for Jeremy to watch, I go, Hey man, you got to watch the show. 
And he goes, okay, cool. I'll just put it in the, the hospital bank. Yeah, I put and it in the little piggy bank he, for that. And he for waits for his two weeks stay. Stuck in the hospital for two weeks with nothing to do. What are you going to do if you don't have to go to the hospital, Jer? Is it a toss up? Would you maybe not take Trikafta? Uh, no, 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 I would. I definitely would. And then I'll just watch the movies when you recommend them. I, I am, Sonia, I am curious about the, the difference because Taylor asked about um, like pre-Trikafta and then Trikafta. I'm really interested in every, you, you talked about everybody getting access to Trikafta and then what it means to have a delayed access to Trikafta. What sort of impact does that have on people living with CF if they, if it's, if their access to getting track after is delayed significantly. Yeah, I think it's um, quite profound. And I don't think we've, uh, we've even considered or fathomed what impact it's having because um, people in the UK are on this therapy now and it's all over social media in the US they've been on it for over a year. Um, I think it's important to also recognize that access to medicines in Canada, even if it got approved by Health Canada, it depends what province you live in. It depends how they decide they're going to pay for it, whether you have insurance. And so our ultimate goal, of course, is that everybody who's able to take this therapy is taking the therapy. Um, But the process by which we go from having a drug to everybody taking it and being able to impact their lives is is quite a long process. And even with all the things that we can do to expedite that, and I know CF Canada is working really hard behind the scenes to make sure that this therapy is available in Canada and available to everyone who can take it as soon as possible. Um, I think the period of time between now and when it's in people's hands, um, I think you make a very good point. I think, you know, when you know that there's something that could potentially improve your life and you can't take it, that must Mm. be completely disheartening and frustrating. And I can't imagine what it's like for the CF community right now. Yeah. And I, I, I think the thing that, that scares me the most about, about a delayed um, adoption of Trikaftan in Canada and in the provinces of Canada, like you said, it depends on the like province. It'll be left up to provinces and it'll be different. It'll be different depending on where you live. But I think the scariest thing for me is through through knowing Jer, I, I, I've Brian and I have become very aware of of other people who live with CF, and knowing that CF in its best case scenario is a steady decline, and but also seeing that there can be like really really unexpected you know drop like cliff drop offs, um, and I think that's the thing that is the scariest thing for me is like knowing somebody like Jer, who's been on this, like, you know, Jer, you've been relatively steady, you know, you've had your little hiccups with hospital stays mm-hmm. and stuff, but you know, like mm-hmm. you like you're a year on from your last, um, uh, going to clinic and doing all your tests and you're, you're at the same place, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But you know, people with CF are never guaranteed this like slow, steady state and, you know, uh, cepatia or yeah, you get an um, infection and you're fucked. Yeah. yeah and like, yeah, or a pneumonia yeah. can come along or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, and, you know, you can have this really steep decline. And so that's what kind of puts that urgency in my mind of going, this needs to, you know, as fast as this can happen, we wanted to get it in people's hands because, you know, every, no matter what your past history with CF has been like, you know, I mean, same as with all of us, you could say that tomorrow's never guaranteed and, mm. and you want to get that out to people as fast as it's you just, can. It's, it's sad that like, uh, Sonny, when I hear you talk about like Great Britain having access to it, the United States has access to it, like other countries have access to it. And as like a proud Canadian, I want to think that we are going to be at the forefront of 
health innovation and and being leaders in in the world and developing these new technologies and adopting them and to hear that like other countries are getting it while we're just letting people here die from their illnesses mm. it's fucking disappointing and sad frankly yeah. it just it sucks and it's funny because like canada i mean as it stands like and correct me if i'm wrong sonia but canada is like one of the world leaders in terms of like life expectancy for patients living with cystic fibrosis. Like our average life expectancy of people living with CF is higher in Canada than it is in the United States currently. Absolutely. You know, we, we, yeah. we've made such huge progress in, in the advancement of, of treatment and, and uh, you know, taking care of, of patients with CF. It's just this one large hurdle that we're currently like facing, you know, we we've talked about the the medical the medical um, benefits of trikafta and and I, I feel like our you know we've been really shoveling this down the throats of our listeners for for a little while now, um, uh, not just this conversation but like you know over the last couple of months and uh, but one thing we haven't really touched on much and and I don't know if this is also if this is you know within your realm or or scope of 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 study but like w- can you speak to the the <clears throat> the economic benefits of something like Trikafta and what, what that looks like? Yeah, well, we, we've been trying to, and I think that's one of the big things that's missing from our study is trying to put mm. a value to it. Um, often when we look at new therapies, um, especially when governments are looking at whether or not they should fund them and how much they should pay for them, they look at a cost-benefit ratio. So how much does the drug cost and what will it save us overall? Um, and we wanted to do that with the study, but what became very clear very quickly is that the information that we had, so the number of hospitalizations, sure, I could look at how much a hospitalization costs. We anticipate they're going to reduce by about 63%, and I can give you a number and say, oh, it's going to save you this much in hospitalizations. But Mm. CF is so much more than just your encounters with the healthcare system, and it's so much more than the factors that we've put into the study. So one of the next steps in trying to understand the benefit of this therapy is we're going to go out and find out what the true cost of CF is. So not just from the healthcare system, but for people and families. And every time you have to take a day off work, um, Mm. what the benefit of working is. So if you're not in the hospital or if you're able to lead productive lives, what does that cost or what is that, what's the gain from that? And so I think in order to get a good estimate of the benefit of this therapy, we need to look at CF people holistically and not just their mm. encounters with the healthcare system, but what this therapy and what living healthier, longer lives would mean and what that would cost or what that would gain to the system. Um, and once we have that information, we can take what we've done in this study and apply it with this much more precise estimate of the benefit mm. of this therapy so that we'd be able to give a holistic number rather than just looking at um, hospitalizations or something, because I don't think that captures the yeah. benefit of this therapy for this population. Um And I think that's been a big challenge because even in studies that have looked at this cost benefit for Trikafta and other modulators, these new fancy therapies that are available, it's really hard to put a number on all of the benefit. And until we capture that information and study it and and actually ask the questions, I don't think we'll have a good answer at that, the value of this therapy. How, how long does this like something like that take, you know, to, to, to conduct a study like a, a cost benefit type study like that? Mm, I just, I, 
if if all the stars aligned, you know, I think within a year we can have a pretty good number. But um, as research, you never know what uh, monkey wrenches are going to get thrown in. So yeah, I'm going like to COVID like, nineteen, you know, maybe you know, right. something, like that. <laughs> yeah, something um, like that. <laughs> so certainly, again, because we are working in this phenomenal community, I think the speed at which we're going to collect the information is going to be very quick, um, and then we have to kind of make sense of it all. But um, anyway, does that Go, number, does that go to the registry that are you, when you say that, are you kind of alluding to the registry that you mentioned before, like that that's something that allows that stuff to happen quicker? Because you said that that's sort of like the like I think before we started recording, you said like the registry is sort of like the lifeblood of your of your mm. work and what allows you to 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 like access information so readily. Yeah, so we have a lot of the information is contained within the registry um, and what we're going to be doing in the near future is augmenting that so adding to it some of these other lived experiences that aren't medical so the registry tends to collect the medical information about the patients their encounters with doctors and hospitals and so it's a really important first step but we need to get additional information about all the other things that um, affect people's lives can you describe the registry like can you what for people who who are like what the fuck is that like what does that even mean what is is the the national registry it's this phenomenal, amazing resource that we have. So uh, starting in the 1970s, um, some very smart people decided that um, in order to advocate, in order to understand what the needs of the CF community are, it's important to collect information about them. So since the 70s, we've been keeping record and tracking um virtually all people living with CF in Canada. And there's similar registries in the US and the UK and Australia and all over Europe. But the Canadian one's really cool because everybody signs up for it, or virtually everybody does. And we've been tracking them since the 1970s. And so we have this really amazing picture of when they were born, when they were diagnosed, what happened to them when they were diagnosed, every time they're um, encountering a doctor's visit or a hospitalization, the types of therapies that they have. And so we have this amazing snapshot of who's living with CF and what uh, they're living with and what health outcomes they have. And so with that, we're able to um, understand this population and really move along the science and understand the impact new therapies have on people's lives. So thank you for asking that. Um, It's amazing. And I just want to thank all of the people both in Canada and around the world that contribute their data to these registries because it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just phenomenal what we've been able to do and to give back to the community with this data. Mm. I mean, it really is a, uh, like a, it it really does speak to when you're, when you're at what I think is what I think I can say is a crossroads in CF with something like Trikafta that's going to treat, you know, the most common, um, genetic mutation of CF that having that participation, you know, really, really like it showing its value over time. When you look back and say like, without all this data, you know, we might not like now it's really, really showing us why this participation has been so important now that we meet, mm-hmm. are at this crossroads where we're at this like incredible opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonny, I wanted to ask, um, maybe, maybe you don't feel like answering this question, but I, I am curious given like the current state of affairs with, you know, research and scientists and politicians in, um, the Western world, um, I'm Trump cu- or Biden? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not voting, so does it matter? As, as a researcher, like, I mean, in order to have your, 
your research put into action, sometimes you rely on on the politics of of, of a country, and especially when we're talking about like Canada, um, like bringing tricaf or, or or having gig- granting access to tricafto. It's it's really a political decision, and I'm curious if um, you feel like as a researcher that the politicians and political side of it is um, in Canada is supportive right now of the research. I mean, you put so much time and energy into the research. Mm. How is it being received politically? Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, it's beyond kind of the Canadian context, but I think that's something that we really struggle with as scientists all the time. You have this amazing research um, and how do you actually translate that into policy? Because as researchers, we don't set the policies. We don't decide what gets funded, what gets paid for. Um, and, and I think that's where organizations like CF Canada have such an important role to pay, to advocate and to translate the research into what that means for patients. Um, and I mentioned, I mean, I, we did the study kind of independently in all of this, and I told you our, our history and our drama. But, you know, it's because CF Canada really realized the impact this had and how that and taking into the context the political scenario is able to take this information and really advocate for changes and really advocate for the science to be implemented into policy. And you know, it's hard because CF is one small, rare disease. Um, And sometimes politicians and public policies don't always put small groups at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need patient advocacy groups to highlight that rare diseases are rare and they're distinct. And some of these therapies that are life-changing, even though they're not going to impact millions of people in Canada, they are going to have a profound impact on those people that do live with this disease. And I think all we can do is continue to advocate and continue to work with these organizations to make sure that their voices are heard and that the politicians know what's going on and they know about the science. Because I publish in a scientific journal, those politicians aren't reading my very astute scientific findings. Um, huh? So it's, <laughs> um, I know Jeremy does, but um, <laughs> you know, I think we all have to work again. The community is what's so important here because by working together, we have people who are able to take our scientific findings, translate it, and move it forward. And to answer your question, which I know I've been evading, um, I think it's really hard because um, I'm not a politician. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be the one making these decisions. And I know sometimes it's hard to think about one decision in the context of all the other things that they need to decide. Um, but I do hope that our study, in combination with all the other studies that are being done, all the other evidence that's coming from Europe, from the anecdotes from other patients, that together all this information will help to make politicians realize the impact this therapy is going to have and hopefully um, come up with a rare disease formula to be able to evaluate not just Trichapta, but all the other medicines that are coming down the pipeline in terms of how do we effectively evaluate the impact that these therapies are going to have on the Canadian population. I think that was an yeah. excellent answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Um, <clears throat> well, Sonia, I want to say, um, you know, there's... There are many people in the country net right now at work to um, to get us to a point where this this hugely important medication can be in the hands of the Canadians who need it, and you are playing a very significant role in that through the work that you have done. Um, and I want to say, you know, personally for myself, thank you so much for that. And um, uh, 
And then also just thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today to talk to us about this so that more people can hear um, from other folks who are who are in this fight why why and how this is so so important to so many. So thank mm -hmm. you for taking the time to uh, shed some light on this for our listeners today uh, because it really really does mean a lot. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. And um, you guys were nice. <laughs> so thank you for being nice and not asking hard <laughs> questions. <laughs> hey, this ain't no hardball. This is like, this is soft, soft serve Sundays all over the place here. So uh, thanks, Sonia. Nice, nice, to, talk. nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sonia. No problem. Bye, guys. All right, there we have it, folks. That was our conversation with Sonia Stanoyevich. Boom. That was Woo! impressive. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Got it. Uh, she's a pretty rad human, and uh, those stats are pretty rad. So um, <clears throat> if you if you haven't, uh, again, if you haven't uh, followed CF Get Loud, be sure to follow them on Instagram. Stay up to date with what's going on with Trikafta. And uh, if there's uh, you know petitions or any kind of noise that needs to be made, you'll, you'll find out there. Or you'll find out here. Uh, all right. Well, this was fun, guys. Uh, I'm probably going to lock myself in my fucking house and never come out for the next couple of months. So <laughs> it was nice to see you online here because I'm probably not going to see you in person uh, very much now that my mom has COVID. Um, but uh, listen, folks, if you like that and you want more of where that came from <clears throat> every Monday and Friday, we are releasing episodes wherever you find your podcasts. And if you want to follow us on social media, do it at Sick Boy Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And if you've got any wonderful <laughs> stories that are just like, uh, <laughs> are you okay, Taylor? Did you have a stroke? <laughs> just waking up yeah, out of well, a nap. You know, you welcome, know, you know, welcome. You, yeah, well, you know, what you could have done. You could have said nothing, and then you could have cut. A, you could have cut a second with editing. I could have. Yeah, you could have. But now it's more fun. Here we way. are. Now here we are. <laughs> Now, if you've got any awesome goddamn stories like that sweet Trikafta story with all the, 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 the release of symptoms, send them to us. And you can send them to us at letters at sickboypodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, you get your ass over to sickboypodcast.com slash contact. You fill out that guest form and maybe you'll be on the show someday. Okay? That's what you do. Oh. That would be great. And uh and if uh we wanted to, we could have cut that second out and you wouldn't have known Taylor that was asleep, but uh unfortunately Jeremy Saunders who edits this podcast was definitely not going to do that because he wanted to highlight the fact that one of the co-producers of this show, Taylor McGilvery was in fact sleeping during the recording of this episode, while the other two co-producers, Brian Stever and Lauren Sankey, we're hanging out Sorry. here, having a good time, waiting for Taylor to jump in. At that same moment, Jeff Lonis, the manager, was probably in his uh, condo in Toronto with his lovely wife and daughter. And the uh, person who does the theme music, Rich O'Coin, was probably producing some new music um, because that's probably what he does at <clears throat> 6 p.m. on a Thursday I night. I think he just dropped an album. Uh, or sorry, not an album, a, a video today. So go check out Rich O'Coin. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. <clears throat> Um, sweet. Well, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.